0: Greetings once again and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon with me Jeremy Walker. Each week we read through a selection of sermons from Charles Haddon Spurgeon working our way through the New Park Street pulpit and then the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. This week we're on sermons 333 to 338. Each week also we focus on one particular sermon and the featured sermon this week is 336 entitled Struggles of Conscience. It was preached at Exeter Hall Strand on Sabbath morning September the 22nd 1860 by Spurgeon from Job 13 verse 23. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. It seems to be a sermon that has particular concern or regard for uh, a certain strand of Calvinism, which tends to emphasize uh, the need for a certain degree of felt sinfulness before you can come to Jesus Christ. Now, Spurgeon shows himself in the introduction to this sermon, no blind follower of the Puritans. He tells us that in the Puritanic age, which was noted certainly for its purity of doctrine, there was also a great deal of experimental preaching, much of which was sound and healthy. But, he says, some of it was unscriptural, because it took for its standard what the Christian felt and not what the Saviour said. The inference from a believer's experience rather than the message which goes before any belief. That excellent man, Mr Rogers of Dedham, who has written some useful works, And Mr. Shepherd, who wrote The Sound Believer, Mr. Flavel, and many others, give descriptions of what a sinner must be before he may come to Christ, which actually represent what a saint is after he has come to Christ. So you understand Spurgeon's concern, that... We cannot impose upon someone who is not yet a Christian a standard of experience, a measure of feeling, a degree of understanding that is only typical of someone who has come to Jesus Christ and has already been converted. And his suggestion is that these good brothers have taken their own experience, what they felt before they came into light, as the standard of what every other man ought to feel before he may put his trust in Christ and hope for mercy. Now, that's important, that uh, sense that we perhaps expect others to have felt only what we have felt or all that we have felt in order that they too may be considered Christians. I've sometimes warned people who'd been reading something like Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan not to take Bunyan's experience as a necessary standard for themselves with regard to their own standing before God. And we've had to deal in the congregation which I serve with people who've given a testimony of their salvation by Jesus Christ who have been Uh, held in some measure of suspicion by one or two. It's not thankfully widespread because in the estimation of those one or two what that person said or did did not reveal sufficient depth as it were. That there wasn't enough what they considered to be feeling. That perhaps they hadn't suffered enough before coming to Jesus Christ. So we can do this in Various ways, but it's that particular strand that Spurgeon seems to be addressing. Now, he's trying to be balanced here. He says, These brothers speak truly in some respect when they say, If you feel your need of Christ, you may come. They describe what a sinner does feel before he comes, but they make a mistake in putting what a sinner does feel as if that were what a sinner ought to feel. So, to use some language from John Owen, they make prescriptive what is only descriptive rather that is than saying this is how some people feel they say this is what all must feel. What the sinner feels says Spurgeon and what the sinner does until he's renewed by grace are just the very opposite of what he ought. We always get wrong when we say one Christian's experience is to be estimated by what another Christian has felt. Now I hope you'll know if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time or you've been a reader of Spurgeon's sermons for any length of time that Spurgeon is very much what we would call an experimental preacher. He's not afraid of depth of feeling. He's not afraid of profound spiritual experience. What he's doing here is making sure that we don't make a law of our experience or a certain kind or degree or measure of experience and impose it upon others with regard to their own experience in coming to Christ. And so in his sermon, he's going to have four headings, first a little by way of consolation, then a little by way of instruction, a little more upon discrimination or caution, and in the last place, a few sentences by way of exhortation. So uh, some nice similar sounding words here consolation instruction discrimination or caution and exhortation this is Spurgeon's outline and he launches straight in by speaking to those who are desiring to feel more and more your sins and whose prayer is the prayer of the text Lord how many are mine iniquities and my sins make me to know my transgression and my sin and he wants to comfort such Now perhaps you consider it striking even to begin with that this should be someone's prayer and that in itself may indicate that too often we have moved perhaps not in this dangerous direction but far from it. We don't imagine that people should feel their sins or perhaps think that they don't need to feel them too much. We perhaps are inclined to comfort too quickly but one of the marks of uh, God's work when he is powerfully moving is that sin is deeply known and felt and Spurgeon is also then addressing a group of people who perhaps to some extent are uh, knowing and feeling or expecting to know and feel their sins to a, a heightened or an unusual degree And he wants to make sure that he speaks to them by telling them, first of all, it ought to give you much solace or comfort when you recollect that the best of men have prayed this prayer before you. The better a man is, the more anxious is he to know the worst of his case. He says when you're uh, truly in a right state and condition, you actually want to understand where you have sinned, where you have fallen short. And Spurgeon says that the the most holy Christians and the most experienced saints to whom he is speaking would unanimously say that has often been my prayer, that they actually do want to know what they've done that has offended God. It's the mark of someone who's callous and careless to say either I haven't sinned or I don't care. But it's a true prayer for God's people. We want to know where we have fallen short of his glory. And then there's a further comfort that you never prayed like this years ago when you were a careless sinner. You didn't want to know your guilt, but found rather pleasure in wickedness. Sin was sweet to you. You just wanted to be left alone so that you could enjoy it. And so again, the very desire to know how we have sinned against God, what are our iniquities and our transgressions, that is a, a sign that God is at work the Lord must have begun a good work in you if you have such a desire. And then another comfort, it's very probable that you do already feel your guilt and what you are asking for you have already in some measure realized. Says Spurgeon, it often happens that a man has the grace which he seeks for and does not know he has it because he makes a mistake as to what he should feel when he has the blessing. I think of a young man with whom I I speak in our congregation. He told me on one occasion, I don't think I can be a Christian. I don't feel how a Christian feels. I asked him, how does a Christian feel? He actually couldn't tell me. He just knew it couldn't be him. I said, well, actually you need to take from God's word your sense of what a Christian feels because you actually don't know Either from your own experience or from the experience of others, and therefore you may be jumping to conclusions. So, such a man may already have the blessing which he asks God to give. Spurgeon puts it another way If you're sorry because you cannot be sorry enough on account of sin, you are already sorry. If you grieve because you can't grieve enough, why you already grieve. If it's a cause of repentance to you that your heart is very hard and that you cannot repent, why you do repent. So he says you need to understand that you may very well already be in the position that you wish to be in. It's a sign of a soft heart. You've already been convicted of your sin. You are nearer the character uh, that you have in mind than you actually realise. But because you think you do not have it, it is clearer proof that you do have this qualification, he says, if indeed there be any qualification. And he walks back a little bit there because this idea of a qualification for coming to Christ is the very thing that he's contending against. So he says, take these words of comfort. And then he moves on to a second point, to a few words of instruction. Having told people who are constantly feeling that they don't feel enough or don't feel bad enough, he now gives some instruction to those who anxiously long to know how many are your iniquities and your sins. He says consider how God may answer your prayers and he'll give at least then these uh, two particular methods that God may use. The first may be striking by allowing a man to fall more and more into gross sin. Spurgeon says I believe many a man who's been educated morally, who's been trained up in such a way that he's never fallen into gross sin finds it very difficult to say lord i feel myself to be a sinner he knows he is a sinner and knows it as a matter of fact but he cannot altogether feel it that's often true of those who are brought up in a christian home and who in god's mercy have had a measure of godly restraint imposed upon them by parents who are concerned for their well-being And so he says, some have envied the harlot and the drunkard, saying, If I'd been like that, if I'd lived that way, at least I would know what it was to be a sinner. I'd know that I had transgressed against God, and then I would be able to tell that I've left those things behind. Well, Spurgeon isn't recommending that you pursue sin in order to feel it, not at all. But he's saying that God may allow you to fall into sin in order that you may come to realize what a sinner you are. You realize then that there is inbred sin in your heart that only lacks opportunity to spring out, that your soul is like a magazine of gunpowder, only needing the spark, and there shall come a terrible catastrophe. So God does sometimes answer the prayer that we might know our sin by showing us something more in that way of the sinfulness of our hearts another way that God does it is not so much by providence, says Spurgeon, as by the mysterious agency of the Holy Spirit, that if you should ever have your eyes opened by the Spirit to see your guilt, you will find it to be the most awful sight you have ever beheld. You will be utterly cast down and crushed, and even then you will have not have seen all and everything of your sin." But when God sends a ray of divine light into the heart, then you see how vile and full of iniquity it is. Like a man who's uh, fallen in in the night, rolled around in the mud, and as he comes to the lamppost, as he approaches some bright light, only then does he understand just how filthy he has become. And so it is as we draw nearer to God or as God shines his light upon us by the Holy Spirit that we see the vileness and the filthiness of sin but he keeps coming back and here's his pastoral disposition here's his practical approach you ask me again he's almost again here in a, in a conversation with his congregation tell me how I can feel the need of my savior how can I be sure that Uh, I'm in the point, at the point where I, I really understand that I need salvation. And Spurgeon says, well, let me give you some advice here. And there's four pieces of it. The first is this, particularize your sins. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, don't say I am a sinner, but ask, am I a liar, a thief, a drunkard? Have I had unchaste or impure and unclean thoughts? Have I committed unclean acts? Have I in my soul often rebelled against God? Am I often angry without a cause? Have I a bad temper? Am I covetous? Do I love this world better than the world to come? Do I neglect prayer? Do I neglect the great salvation? The point here is that it's relatively easy to say, oh, I'm a bad person. But then if someone says, yes, you are, and you've done this, this and this, then perhaps your heart says, no, I haven't. I'm not that bad. Spurgeon says, get ahead of the game. You deal with your own heart. You shine the light of God's word upon it. You address the particular sins that you have committed. And so you you need to come to grips then, says Spurgeon, with particular sins. So don't be general in your dealings with your own soul. Don't be general in your confessions before God. Name your sins. Bring them into the light. My friends, it's, it's painful. It's ugly. It's shameful. And sometimes if you've been accustomed to generalize and you start dealing with particular sins, you will find that there is a resistance to do so that perhaps you had not before really grasped. That when you have to come to God and say, I have done this and I have done this, and I have spoken like this, and I have been in this place, and I have had these thoughts, and I have committed these actions, that you begin to see the sinfulness of sin. And then a second thing, hear a personal ministry. Don't sit where the preacher preaches to you in the plural number, but where he deals with you as a man alone by yourself. Again, Spurgeon isn't saying that you you need to hear a preacher who names you by name, but that he speaks very particularly, who makes you feel like he's talking to you and pointing the finger toward you. We want men like John Berridge, he says, who've pulled the velvet out of their mouths years ago and cannot speak fine words. Men that hit hard, that draw the bow and pull the arrow to its very head and send it right home, taking deadly aim at the heart and the conscience of men, ploughing deep hitting at the private lusts and at the open sins, not generalizing but particularizing, same idea as before, not preaching to men in the mass but to men in the detail, not to the mob and to the crowd, but to each man separately and individually. Grow not offended with the minister if he come home too close to you. Remember, that is his duty. And if the whip goes right round you and stings you, thank God for it. Be glad of it. Now that's the very reason why a lot of people leave a particular church or criticise a particular minister. You're too particular, you're too specific, you make me feel bad. That's the very kind of preaching you should relish, says Spurgeon. A finger that actually points to your sin, a tongue that actually paints your particular transgressions. Let me, if I sit under a ministry, he says, sit under a man who uses the knife with me sometimes, a man who will not spare me, a man who will not flatter me. Now notice the sometimes, notice the the qualification. Not that you are to be perpetually pursued and and hounded and and nagged and trampled into the dust, but the man to whom uh, you, you afford that that privilege the the man who has the responsibility to speak to your soul let him be a man who knows where and when to cut so that if there should be flattery anywhere it is not in the pulpit and a third way then to know your need of a savior is to study much the law of god understand that god's commandments mean not only what they say in words but that they touch the thought the heart the imagination. Again, a great need today when some or all of the commandments are often bypassed, diluted or pushed into the distance in some way. But each of those 10 words that comes from Sinai, each of those words that reveals the holiness of the true God, if you want to know what God is like, study his law. And when you study his law, you will see your own sin. And the fourth way, spend much of your time in thinking upon the agonies of Christ, for the guilt of your sin is never so clearly seen anywhere as in the fact that it slew the Saviour. What an evil thing sin must be, which cost Christ his life in order to save you. So how do you feel your sin? If you're asking, O Lord, teach me my need of you, show me these transgressions, make me know my iniquity and my sin then remember that god might do that by revealing sin in providence in your life by teaching it you through the agency of the holy spirit and showing you its sinfulness and that you can cultivate an accurate not an extravagant but an accurate sense of your sin by particularizing your sins by hearing a personal ministry by considering the law of god And by dwelling upon the agonies of Jesus Christ. Now, does that attract you? I'm not saying you necessarily find the idea particularly pleasant, but is there any appetite for you to know your sins, to understand the preciousness of Jesus Christ to your soul as that of a sinner? These are, says Spurgeon, truly some of the marks of someone who is being dealt with by the Spirit of God and now very briefly he says a few sentences by way of discrimination and this is again uh, these pastoral touches that come out because he is aware of how easy it is to get these things wrong and how often flawed teaching has introduced a, a flawed notion so he says discriminate carefully here between the work of the spirit and the work of the devil The work of the Spirit is to make you feel yourself a sinner. It is not the Spirit's work to make you feel that Christ could forget you. It is the work of the Spirit to make you repent of sin. It is not the work of the Spirit to make you despair of pardon. That is the devil's work. You see how careful he's being here. That someone who says, Oh, I, I need to feel myself a sinner. Lord, teach me to know what a sinner I am, says now. Don't imagine that you need to reach the point where you say, no one can ever save me. I am beyond salvation. That is the work of the devil. That is actually sinning right there because what you're doing is you are fundamentally denying the power of God in Jesus Christ to save you. You see, the the Holy Spirit does confirm that you cannot save yourself. It's the devil who says you cannot be saved. The devil says it's no use your trust in Christ if you've got no good in you, you cannot hope to be saved. You see every time the devil speaks the truth the, the sorry the the spirit speaks the truth. The devil tries to push that truth into an untruth, to take the, the things that the Spirit has said and to twist them so that the, there's maybe a grain of half-truth left, but the whole thing is then perverted and you draw wrong conclusions from the right premises. So don't desire to have the devil tearing your soul to pieces. Don't desire to be brought to a point that is the work of the devil and not the work of the Holy Spirit the less you have to do with the devil the better and if the holy ghost keeps satan from you says spurgeon bless him for it do not wait then to have the terrors and the horrors that some have but come to christ just as you are and then another caution take care that you do not try to make a righteousness out of your feelings here again is this hyper calvinism if you say I may not go to Christ until I feel my need of him, that is clear legality or legalism. Christ does not want you to feel your need in order to prepare for him. He wants no preparation, and anything which you think to be a preparation is a mistake. So as soon as you've said, I need to be this or that before I can come to Jesus Christ, then you are taking away from Christ. You're making at least in principle, a contribution to your salvation. You are effectively trusting in your feelings rather than trusting in the Saviour. You're saying, I trust Christ because I feel my need, which is effectively to say, I trust myself. All this preaching to sinners then, that they must feel this and feel that before they trust in Jesus, is just self-righteousness in another shape. And there's too much Pharisaism then, says Spurgeon, mixed with hyper-Calvinism than there is with any other sect in the world. This idea that you need to be a sensible sinner, that's one of the phrases that was often used. Still is some places today that you need a certain measure of felt experience of sin and that qualifies you to come to Jesus Christ. And so, says Spurgeon, I do solemnly declare that this preaching to the prejudice and feelings of what they call sensible sinners is nothing more than self-righteousness taking a most cunning and crafty shape, for it's telling the sinner that he must be something before he comes to Christ. It's terrible, isn't it? That you, you can pretend that your pride is humility. That you say, oh, I need to feel low enough in order that I may then come to Christ. I need to have this measure of uh, guilt and, and felt need before I can approach Jesus. That is pride. The gospel then, says Spurgeon, is preached not to sensible sinners or sinners with any other qualifying adjective, but to sinners as sinners, to sinners just as they are, it is not to sinners as repentant sinners, but to sinners as sinners, be their state what it may, and their feelings whatever they may. And here Spurgeon is is showing himself one of the so-called uh, marrow men. Uh, a book by a man called Edward Fisher called "The Marrow of Modern Divinity," published, I think, it was the 17th century. Um, and there'd there'd been over the course of the years various uh, challenges. And to this idea of a sinner coming to Christ as he is, as opposed to needing some prior work, some measure of qualification or preparation, and Spurgeon is showing himself one of those who says, No, the sinner, by virtue of being a sinner, needs to come to Christ as he is. All the fitness Christ requires is to feel your need of him. All the uh, appropriateness, all the readiness, is that you feel your need of him this he gives you says the hymn writer joseph hart this he gives you tis his spirit's rising beam so don't uh, over emphasize that feeling of your need of him separated from the fact that that is christ's own work by his spirit in you believe then my master is longing to save you says spurgeon trust him act on that belief sinner and you shall be saved, or else I will be lost with you. And then one more thing he says, anything which keeps you from Christ is sin. Whatever thought you have which keeps you from trusting Christ today is a sinful thought, and every hour you continue as you are an unbeliever in Christ, the wrath of God abides upon you. You say, Lord, I am not worthy but I do will to come. Or if I don't will, yet I will to will. Therefore, I will come just as I am. I know I have no good feeling to recommend myself to you, but then you do not want good feeling in me. You will give me all I want. You see again how uh, this so-called good feeling of being guilty can become essentially a qualification to come to Jesus Christ. And it is not your experience that is the. Uh, the qualification, the right that you have to come to Christ. You are called to come. And so, says Spurgeon, my dear hearers, I feel so glad I have such a gospel as this to preach to you. If you've not received it, I pray God the Holy Ghost to send it home to you. It's so simple that men cannot believe it is true. If I were to bid you take off your shoes and run from here to York and you would be saved, why, you would do it at once and the road to York would be thronged. But when it's nothing but the soul quickening words believe and live, it's too easy for your proud hearts to do. If I told you to go and earn a thousand pounds and endow a church with it and you'd be saved, you would think the price very cheap. But when I say trust Christ and be saved, you cannot do that. It's too simple. Ah, madness of the human heart. Strange, strange, besotted sin. When God makes the path plain, men will not run in it for that very reason. And when he sets the door wide open, that's the very reason they will not come in. They say if the door was half ajar and they had to push it open, they would come in. God has made the gospel too plain and too simple to suit proud hearts. May God soften proud hearts and make you receive the Saviour. And now the last point, by way of exhortation. And there's just a few brief points here and we need to press on as well to, to finish in reasonable time today. In the first place, it's a very great sin not to feel your guilt and not to mourn over it, but that's one of the very sins that Christ atoned for on the tree. And you see here how, again, Spurgeon is trying to to make sure that he removes every obstacle to a guilty sinner coming to Jesus Christ. Yes, you should feel your guilt, and yes, you don't feel it enough, but Christ died for even that sin. Oh sinner, he says, if Christ had only died that we might be forgiven of other sins except our hard hearts, we should never go to heaven, for we have, all of us, even we who've believed, committed that great sin of being impenitent before him. Again, he says, come to Jesus, because it's he only who can give you that heart for which you seek. If men were not to come to Christ till they feel as they should feel, they would never come at all. They never feel, we never feel what we should feel. If we wait until we do, we are cutting ourselves off from Jesus Christ. He came as he is for us as we are and we need to come to him and come because he can soften your heart and you can never soften it yourself. Christ is exalted on high to give repentance and remission of sins, not merely the remission, but the repentance too. Yes, Christ is just the Saviour for you, a Christ that begins at the beginning and does not want you to begin, a Christ that shall go to the end and won't want you to finish, a Christ that does not ask you to say Alpha, and then he will be the Omega, but he will be both Alpha and Omega. So here we are the only way in which you've been saved the only gospel Spurgeon and any preacher can truly find in the bible is a looking to Jesus Christ. Well this is a a stirring and a striking sermon as so often from Spurgeon what he's dealing with here is this fearful hyper-Calvinism that imposes upon a sinner a certain standard of feeling or experience before they can come to Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon says, it is not so. Christ is the saviour of sinners, not of a certain kind of sinner, but of all the sinners who come to him repenting and believing, they will find that even their repenting and believing Was of Christ in the first place. So he says, Don't demand of yourselves something that God has not demanded of you. Don't impose upon others a standard of feeling or experience that the Bible does not require. He himself teaches us our need. And for those of us who are guilty that we don't feel guilty enough, all that we need. Is already in Christ. And if He's working that in us, we must come to Him. We must trust in Him. We must look to Him. I hope there's something here of blessing and value to your soul. Perhaps you say it's very far removed from my experience. Well, perhaps you'll yet come to be able to counsel or help somebody. Or perhaps you say this is the very thing that I feel. If it is, may Spurgeon's wise pastoral preaching blow apart those unscriptural notions of what it means to to come to jesus christ and how a sinner may come to jesus christ and give us the comfort that our souls need next week featured sermon is 345 self sufficiency slain i hope you'll join us again then and i hope that these sermons will continue to be a blessing to your soul that you will learn to cry out with spurgeon how many are mine iniquities and sins that you will ask with job make me to know my transgression and my sin that you will enter into that holy desire to know what it is to have offended against god and yet in so feeling that you will not impose upon yourself or others that which god has not demanded but will come to christ in all the fullness and sufficiency of his saving work and find him a saviour for sinners such as we are. May God bless this to our souls, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeremy Walker, and From the Heart of Spurgeon is a podcast from Media Gratii. For more resources like this, including a biographical film of Spurgeon's life and labours, visit mediagratii.org.